Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 8, where we are continuing on in the section right after the parable of the soils. There's a whole bunch of little things that are all kind of interrelated, and we'll see how that is this morning. When I was going to college at Boise State University, I also worked at a local hospital uh, in the graveyard shift from 11 p.m. to 7.30, and then went to class from 8.30 to 3.30 every day. I didn't sleep much, but uh, the job was kind of a good job because I got to travel around the hospital. I worked in the instrument room and uh, putting uh, surgery packs together and central service and the linen room and the decontam room. And I was kind of all over. I was the only guy working in those four departments at nighttime. And uh, one day when I was walking down the hall, I was pushing a cart over to surgery. There, I was just going down this hallway. All of a sudden there was this pop and everything went completely dark. The power just went out. And I had been studying the rapture the day before. (laughs) And my first thought was, whoa, he's coming back. Uh, But that's not what happened. Uh, I just stood there in the dark. I couldn't see. There were no windows. There was no emergency lights. It was just dark, dark. And uh, so finally, there was... uh, noises and finally the power came on as the emergency generators kicked in to uh, take over for the power outage but i started to think about that you know what if somebody was in surgery i mean what if you were lying on the table and you know the doctor was doing that lobotomy on you or you know had uh your heart in his hand and was making that critical suture or whatever and all of a sudden lights out 15 to 20 seconds would seem like a very long time. And you know what? We need light. We need light to read and see and do things. Light is so important. But what is more important than the light we receive from candles and light bulbs and things like that and even the sun is the light of God's truth. You cannot go to heaven Without the light of God's truth. If you die in darkness, you die and go to hell. And so as we look at Luke's gospel this morning and we follow up on the parable of the soils, we come to another parable, a very short one, a very simple one. It's the parable of the lamp and several other sayings that Jesus says following that that are all related And as we have been working through, we've talked about why Jesus is teaching in this section, what he's teaching. Jesus' disciples have been following him around the country. Jesus is preaching. He's doing miracles. He is healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's doing all kinds of things and teaching them things like they have never seen before. And people are just amazed. Huge crowds are following him around the country. But in chapter 9, Jesus is going to start sending the disciples out on trial runs to get them used to preaching the gospel. They've been receiving the light of God's truth for a long time. But now it's going to be time for them to go out and to begin to do something with what they have been entrusted with. And so he's trying to prepare them for what they're going to encounter. And so the whole parable of the soils was designed to say, listen, you're going to go out there. You're going to preach the gospel and some are going to be hard hearted. Some are going to have temporary what appears to be salvation responses to the preaching of the gospel and then are going to fall away. But then finally, there's going to be some and these are going to 
receive the word implanted, they're going to have their souls saved and they're going to bear fruit with perseverance. So he has just said that. And now in the middle of giving the parable and the explanation of the parable, the disciples also come up in verse nine and say, so what does this parable, the soils mean? And implied in their statement is, so why do you teach in parables anyway? I mean, you think about it. Uh, if you want to tell somebody something, parables are very cryptic. <laughs> They're hard to understand. So why would you speak to somebody in a parable when you could just tell them straight out? And Jesus gives a very interesting answer. He says to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them It has not been granted. And then he quotes a text from Isaiah where God in judgment says these certain people, I will purposely keep from being able to understand my truth so that they will not be saved, will not be forgiven. And I'm going to do it as a form of judgment. Now that is amazing. Why would Jesus tell them that? Because they need to know when you go out and you share the gospel, it's not your job to save people. It's not your job to grant them illumination. Only the Holy Spirit can open their hearts so that they know, understand, and experience the life-transforming truths of God's word. And if they don't understand, they may understand later, or it may be a judgment from God. But that's not our job. Our job is to sow the seed. It's God's job to use it unto the salvation of souls. So having said that, Jesus now is going to switch from emphasizing what happens when people hear the gospel to our responsibility. He has talked about the different responses and God's responsibility. Now he's going to talk about our responsibility as children of light who know the truth, what we are to do with the truth that we have. So if you have your Bible, look at Luke chapter 8 and follow along as I read verses 16 through 21. Jesus says, now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be made known and come to the light. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and he said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now, what you're going to learn from these verses is four truths you need to obey and submit to if you're going to give glory to God. And if you want to avoid ending up in hell, the first is this be shining the light. Look at verse 16. Now, no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. You know, that's not a very profound statement, is it? That's kind of like a no duh. Um, in the New Testament times, lamps were kind of look like squatty little teapots. 
they were kind of these short little things with uh, some had lids, a little breather hole. You pour the oil in there, put them on there. They had a little spout. You put the wick in, then you would light the wick. Sometimes they would be more open and you just lay the wick in there. Or sometimes they'd have multiple wicks. But either way, the olive oil, little wick, light it, pretty simple. And people would um, have these and carry them around. A lot of them they found have little handles on them. So, you know, you can carry them around kind of like a coffee cup. Uh, the point, though, that Jesus is not, he's, he's not, doesn't really care about how lamps are constructed. It could be used a flashlight or a table lamp that we have today. But look at the middle of verse 16. But he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. When you have a lamp, you know, you don't stick it under the pot or a container or under your bed. I mean, that would be counterproductive. He would put it uh, on someplace high. And they have found, you know, little shelves they would carve into the walls or have a lampstand and put something up there, uh, the lamp up there, so that that it would, you know, spread as much light as possible. That's just so easy. It would be foolish not to do that. Well, Jesus speech speaking this not to teach us about, you know, the location of lamps. I was in the library the other day and there's these books on, I forget what they're called, some Asian thing chew or something like that, furniture placement. You know what I'm talking about. You know, where... You get your, your your furniture and you arrange it in just the right way so it kind of, you know, makes you feel good or something. Well, he's not giving a lesson on that. What he's doing is, is he is continuing on after having addressed different responses of the gospel to the gospel and God's responsibility in the proclaiming of the gospel. Now he's talking about your and my responsibility in the gospel. The light that Jesus refers to here, like the seed, represents the word of God. And Jesus is saying, listen, you have the truth. You who know what is right. You who have the Holy Spirit in you. You who have been saved. Let your light out. Now go putting it under the container. Proverbs 6.23 says, for the commandment is a lamp and teaching is a light. All the way scripture, you see the, the, the word of God used, uh, or the word light used to describe the word of God as a simile or a metaphor. Psalm 119.105, a, a real commonly known verse, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Later on in verse 130 of Psalm 119, the psalmist goes on to say, the unfolding of your words gives light and gives understanding to the simple. Paul in Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Listen to this among whom you appear appear as lights in the world. How do you appear by not grumbling? You want to appear as a light? Don't complain. Do you want to appear as a light? Abstain from wickedness. That's why he goes on to say, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason, uh, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. You hold fast the word of God, which means you obey the word of God and that makes you a light. 
Peter in second Peter one, 19 through 21 has a sustained section on the word of God and why it's important. But in these last two, two verses or three verses, he's summarizing and he says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And so he's saying this. You, believers, are to be lights in a dark place. The world is a dark place. You, who know the truth, have the light in you. You're children of light. You have Christ, who is the God of light, dwelling in you. And you are to let your light shine, be a light in the dark place. And of course, you do that by obeying God and speaking the gospel. So when you do a study of light, it almost always refers to either God, God's word, or Christ. Christ, of course, is the word of God incarnate. And so he is the light which comes into the world and enlightens every man. Now, there's an important lesson here. Truth is not for hoarding. Truth is not for personal boasting, for selfish pleasure, for accumulating great amounts of biblical knowledge so that you can just keep it and you know use it to make other people think that you know a lot about the Bible. God's truth is like light, and that light needs to be spread abroad. And guess what? It's your responsibility. And the question is, are you doing this? Are you doing this? Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, Jack, you know, I, I want to get up on the lampstand. You know, I want to be up there. I want to let my light shine, but I'm not quite sure how to do that. Well, you have come to the right place. There's only two ways. There's two ways you can let your light shine with words and with deeds. That's it. Those are the two general categories. You know, there are many ways of getting the gospel out. You can have tent meetings. You could have evangelistic crusades. You can write books. You can distribute tracts. You can invite people to church. You can do one-on-one evangelism, group evangelism, you know, whatever. There's street preaching. There's tons of ways to let your light shine by word. But do you know how most people come to know the Lord? Do you know what the most common way people come to the Lord? We'll just do a little experiment right now. If you came to the Lord through an evangelistic crusade and then started following the Lord from that point on, raise your hand. Okay, we got a couple, just a couple. Now, let's try this one. If you came to the Lord through a street preacher or a street evangelist, raise your hand. Okay, we got a couple more. Now, if you came to the Lord through a friend, co-worker, or family member who shared the gospel with you, raise your hand. Bingo! Okay, now does that tell you anything? It should teach you that the most common way that people come to the Lord is when people share the gospel with those they already have an established relationship with, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, somebody like that. And it, you know, they bring them to church, they share the gospel with them, they give them something, whatever it is, 
That's how the bulk of people come to the Lord. Now, God uses a lot of amazing ways, but the point is this. You are to shine your light with what you say. Secondly, secondly, you are to shine your light in another way, by your deeds. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16? Jesus said this, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may hear what you say. No, that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. In other words, live out the truth that you study and hear from the word of God and that will make you shine. Some people are confused, though, because right after that, he condemns those who do good works in order to be seen by men. Have you ever came across that yet? Yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it? It's like, well, are we, I mean, we're supposed to be shiny or not? Light on or light off? You know, what, what is it? You know, right. I mean, he says, you let your light shine before men so they can see your good works. Then right after that, don't do good works to be seen by men. It's like, well, you know, I mean, that could get you schizophrenic. So the question is, what is Jesus talking about? I mean, why does he say don't and do? Well, in the first instance, all he's saying is, is live a holy, godly, obedient life. And that in front of other people so that they can see how God has changed your life. In the other instance, he is condemning those who do good works in order to feed their ego. In order to be seen by men and get glory for themselves. That is the kind of good works you are not to do. Everything is to be done for the glory of God. For instance, Ephesians 2.10, right after it talks about being saved by grace, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. When you were saved, saved by grace, you were saved as God's workmanship to do good works for God. In 1 Timothy 2.10, Paul encourages women to engage in good works. In 1 Timothy 5.10, widows are to have a reputation for doing good works. In 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul tells those who are rich financially in this world to be rich in good works. In Titus 2.7 and 14 and 3.1.7.8 and 14, Paul tells us that the reason God saves people is to create for himself a people zealous for good works. That's why you were saved. You must do good works because salvation and the grace of God changes you. Your life, as someone said, speaks louder than your words. The way you live, what you say, what you do tells other people who you really are, who you really are. And if you don't pray and don't really care to pray, if you don't read your Bible, don't really care to read your Bible. You don't give or really care to give. Now you know why. You don't love God. That's why. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's only one way to love God, right? There's only one way. Keep his commandments. You can't love God by rebelling against him. 
There's only one way. You love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, with your deeds. But you have to align yourself with the truth and submit yourself to the truth. And if you're unwilling to do that, you're just telling God, I don't love you. Now, there is only one way, and that is you must speak the truth. You must live the truth. And that and that alone is how you love God. And if your life is a life that doesn't love God, then you need saved. You need Jesus. And quit lying to yourself that you're a Christian because you come into a building where the church meets. So believers are to work at letting their light out, to shine before men. They are to live and speak the truth so that the dark world sees it. But you know what? When you do that, there's something that happens. People reject it. People make fun of you. People persecute you. So then what do you do? This brings us to our second point. Verse 17, be afraid of the judge. Jesus goes on to say, for nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Does God know everything? Absolutely. Though men may keep secrets from each other, they never keep secrets from God. Ever. God knows your thoughts. Your mind is an open book to him. He sees you at home. He sees you at work. He sees you at church. And he sees you everywhere in between all the time, whether it's dark or light. He sees you. Do you know what the last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes says? Let me just remind you. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Every single one. And now is that a scary thought? It should be. In Matthew twelve thirty six, Jesus said, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. All your words... Every careless one will be judged. In Matthew 16, 27, for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with the angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Every one of your deeds is going to be evaluated. Every careless deed Jesus knows about and will judge. Jesus warned his disciples of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and then said this in Luke 12, two through five. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in a dark place will be heard in the light. And whatever you whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that have no more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him. Who after he has killed the body has the power to cast into hell. He says, yes, I tell you, fear him. Every secret conversation Jesus says will be proclaimed on the hot top. It's going to be brought out in the open. Is that a scary thought? It should be. Paul in Romans 2.16 says, On that day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Any secret of any form that you think you have, it's going to be exposed. Is that scary? It should be. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness, and this is a really scary one, and will disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each, one's, each man's praise will come to him from God. 
every motive of your heart will even be judged. You think, well, Jack, what is there that God doesn't see? I mean, is there anything? Listen to Hebrews 4.13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That, people, is an elk hunting verse. You may think, well, how is that? Well, in the Greek, this thing laid bare talks about gutting an animal and flaying it open. That's what it's talking about. All things are filleted open before God. Everything. Everything. So why do you need to remember this? I mean, is this nothing but, you know, for terrorism? No. It should motivate you to have a holy reverence for God. He's no one to be trifled with. He's no one that you can just sin against and he, you know, he doesn't know about it. It should motivate you to strive for holiness. You know, most kings would not tolerate even one instance of rebellion or treason. And think of how many times we sin against God. How we rebel against him. We're basically looking in God's face when we sin and just going, I'm going to do my own thing. That's what we're doing. Remember that when you sin, you always sin in the face of God. You know, parents are grieved when their children obey, when they're first learning how to talk and you've got that cute little thing and you say, come to mommy or daddy. He's like, no. (laughs) And you think, wow. Does that grieve you? It's like, man, I didn't teach him that. Where did that come from? They're sinners. They're like you. They came from you. That's where they came from. But how much worse it must be for God, an infinitely holy God, when his children rebel against him, especially when he saves them. He frees them from sin. He always provides a way of escape. He gives them every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He gives them his all-sufficient word and all-sufficient grace so that they can always, in every good deed, obey him. And yet we still take all of those resources and say, No, I refuse to use your grace. I'm going to rebel against you and I'm going to do it in your face. How gracious is God that when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Let the thought of God's perfect knowledge and ever present being stop you from engaging in sin. May it ever be a holy terror to you to remember that any sin you commit, you commit in plain view of God. If we would just stop before sinning. And just remember, God is watching this. And when I do this, he's just going to be watching the whole thing. It would significantly hamper our pleasure and take away the temptation. But there is a second application of this truth. And I think this is the one that Jesus is driving at for his disciples more. And that is when you share the gospel, people reject it, don't they? It's like, oh yeah, you know, religion's not for me. I'm glad it's good for you and your life, but it's not for me. Or, you know, there's so many translations and transliterations. How do you know that the Bible's true? There's so many religions in the world. How do you know Christianity is the only one? What about the natives in Africa? 
I don't believe there's a God. Jesus didn't exist. You know, there's contradictions in the Bible. Yeah, I know Christians who are hypocrites. I mean, you know the excuses. They're legion. And sometimes when you begin to try to witness these people, some of them know the Bible more than you do. They ask questions you can't answer. They scoff at you. They ridicule you. They look it down on you. And pretty soon you can be tempted to think, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe the, maybe the Bible isn't true. Maybe, maybe I'm the deluded one. Maybe they're wise and I'm foolish. Maybe I'm in the dark and they're in the light. Maybe life is just about, you know, believing that we crawled out of some primordial slime and lost our fins and tails and poor homo sapiens by chance. Maybe that's true. And there is no right and there is no wrong. And I can do anything I want and indulge in any pleasure I want because after all, there's no judge. And when I die, I'm just going to disappear. Well, snap out of it. What Jesus is telling you in this text is that every scoffer, every atheist, every agnostic, every slick speaking philosopher, every cult and occult and member of every false religion and everyone who ever persecutes any Christian and refuses to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, they will be exposed for the imposters and the liars and the deceivers that they really are. Every one. Picture yourself dressed in white clothing. You've got a glorified body. All your sins are forgiven, washed whiter than snow. All those bad deeds which mounted up against you have all been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And there's Christ sitting on the throne. His hair is white like wool, his feet like burnished bronze, his eyes like a flame of fire. And around his throne are myriads and myriads and ten thousands, time ten thousands of angels attending to him. And all the saints of all the ages are on his right hand. And there's all the rest. All those people you shared the gospel with. Bosses, neighbors, Family members, friends, the people you tried to love, the people you shared the truth with, but who would not have it, who said you were a joke. And it's judgment day. And you're on Christ's side. And they're not. You are Christ's brother, his sister. You are all. A high priest. You are a king. And there they are. All those people who you tried to help, but who would not have it. The gospel you spoke to them out of love, they rejected and scoffed at and made fun of. The people can't rise from the dead. The Bible isn't true. Jesus didn't do miracles. There, no one's ever been born of a virgin. God doesn't even exist. And all of those excuses they used will now become plain to all that they were excuses. And there will, there they will be before the Lord of glory himself. And there you will be next to him and words that were rejected will now come to their perfect resurrected minds. And you will know. 
and they will know and Christ will know that they are the liars. They are deceivers. They are deluded. They were in the darkness and you by the grace of God were in the light. And the words of Jesus that we are studying this very moment will be fulfilled for nothing hidden that will not become evident nor anything secret that will not be known and come to the light that will happen on that day. And you can count on it. Only those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ alone to save them will be vindicated on that day. The rest will tremble with holy fear and will be judged. And I'm telling you, there will be no plea bargaining, no lawyers, no evidence brought forth because God knows all things. He doesn't need any expert testimony. Most judges don't know anything. And so the evidence is brought before them and they have to make a ruling. In this case, the judge knows everything already. So it's already decided before the people show up. So the lesson to learn here is be afraid of the judge. Let it scare you from sin. And if you don't know Christ, may it drive you to repentance. As David said in Psalm 2, 11 and 12, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoicing and with trembling. Do homage to the son that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. And how blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And this brings us to our third point. Be listening to the messenger. Look at verse 18. Jesus speaking to the crowds and his disciples say, says, so take care. How you listen. He's just warned that the judge is coming. He says, take care how you listen. In this text, Jesus is the messenger. He is proclaiming the truth. He is sowing the seed. He is shining the light. And he is commanding you to take care how you listen. The Greek word translated take care means to see so as to understand with the mind. Now, what's interesting is when You say, well, if that's what it means, if it means to understand or perceive or discern the truth, then why does Jesus tell us that that's something only God can do? Well, I explained earlier in verse 10, Jesus is explaining what his responsibility is. And here we're learning what the listener's responsibility is. The word listen is a present active Verb, always be listening so that you're always understanding and perceiving. When Jesus is speaking about God, either revealing or hiding truth from people, he's speaking about what God's responsibility is. But here he's telling you, your responsibility is to listen to the word of God and do what it says, to seek to understand it. You know, we don't know who the elect are. We don't know who are, who, which people are going to come to salvation. We don't know when they're going to come to salvation. It's God's job to make the word of God living and active and to use it to open people's hearts and transform them. It's our job to proclaim it. And if we're hearing the message to listen carefully, seek to understand and seek to obey. You remember that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he gave the parable, of the two houses, one was built on the rock and the other was built on the sand. You remember what he said there. He said that the house that was built on the rock is the He who hears these words of mine and acts upon them. The house on the sand is he who hears these words of mine and does not act. 
Just hearing the word of God doesn't get you into heaven. Many hearers. There must be hearing and obeying. Again, it's not that doing good works saves you. Works do not save you. But you are saved to do good works. You are saved to do good works. We just read it. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's pretty clear. And so the life of a true believer will produce works because the grace of God is working in them. And so what you need to ask yourself is, how are you, how are you listening to God's word? When you read your Bible, when you read a book that's about the Bible, when you hear a sermon, when you go to a Bible study, when you're in a discipleship group, when you are exposed to the word of God, how do you listen? Do you listen to understand so that you can obey or not? You know, when you look in the church, you'll find different groups. There are those who just don't want to listen. They're like the Pharisees, and they will not listen. There are those who hardly listen at all. Maybe they come to church and they sit down, but as soon as they sit down, their minds start wandering. They start doodling. They start thinking about their car, the TV show, or what's for lunch. You know, the word of God is not that big a deal to them. There are those who only listen to find fault. Maybe not with the word of God, but, you know, they just come and, and their whole time they're just they're scanning and they're critical. They're, oh, he got that gerund wrong. He stuttered. His tie's crooked. Oh, how can they can't turn up the heat? How can they can't turn down the heat? Oh, the services are so long. When's he going to stop? When's he going to finish? When's he going to start? There are those who listen to obtain wisdom, though, so that they can put it to use. And this is what Jesus wants all of us to be. He wants us to be good listeners. J.C. Ryle says there are three things that are necessary to be a good listener. One, you must believe God's word is true. Two, you must have a holy fear and reverence of God. And three, you must pray. Pray for understanding. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. Now, why do we need to take care of how we listen to the word of God? Look at the middle of verse 18. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Those who are blessed by God's grace, who understand the word of God and the truth of the gospel, will have more truth and more grace continually given to them. They will constantly be growing in wisdom and knowledge and grace. Kind of reminds me, though, of the parable of the talent, doesn't it? You remember the parable. They're all given different talents to invest. And what happened to the guy who didn't do anything with his, just buried it and said, hey, I knew you were a hard man. I was scared to lose it, and so I didn't even try using it, and so here's your money back. Do you remember what happened to that guy? Well, his little one talent was taken away from him and given to the man who produced ten. Same truth, Jesus is teaching here. There's many people on earth who think they are saved, who think they are wise, who think they are intelligent, who maybe even know the truth and know some of the Bible, and they think they're going to heaven, but they're not. They will arrive in heaven looking for their reward, trusting in their works to save them, leaning on their church attendance, on their heritage, on their parents, on their profession of faith in a creed. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Though we are called to do good works as believers, we are not called to trust in good works to save us. There is no other argument. There is no other plea. 
It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That is all that you can ever trust in. Jesus and that he died for me. Fourth, be a member of Jesus' family. Look at verses 19. Verse 19, and his mother and brothers came to him and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. So Jesus standing there and picture this in your mind. There's this huge mob, you know, of people crunched around him. They all want to get healed. They all want to see the miracles. They all want to be able to hear the teaching. It seems like the mass was so thick that people were literally touching and the family couldn't even get through. And the people in the crowd are so interested in being close to Jesus. They don't want to give up their spot. You know, let somebody else give up their spot. I mean, go around. So the family's wandering around. They can't even find access to Jesus. And they say, Hey, mom, I'll take care of it. You know, one of Jesus half brothers says, I'll take care of it. Mom, I will, uh, you know, talk to somebody. They'll pass a message forward. So he says, Hey, you know, I'm Jesus brother. Could you tell him his his mother and his brothers are here to see him and the message trickles forward? You know, they're thinking to themselves, Mary's thinking, he is my son. And the brother's thinking, he is my brother. You know, we should have some family privileges here. But notice how Jesus replies in verse 21. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus was not being mean here, but he was letting people know that those who are the true children of God are not those who are hearers only, but those who hear the word of God and do it. There is a widespread lie among people in churches today that says you can be a Christian, but sporadically go to church. You can be a Christian and rarely, if ever read the Bible, you can be a Christian and infrequently pray. You can be a Christian and intermittently serve. You can be a Christian and give sometimes just a little, you can be a Christian and live like an unbeliever the rest of the week, but pretend to be a believer on Sunday. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is Satan speaking to you and not God. If you want to know what God says, then look at the end of verse 21. If you want to know, if you're a child of God, look at the text. These who hear the word of God and do it. And if you're one of those people who thinks that just by hanging around Christians in a building called the church, that you're going to get to heaven, you better think again. You better fear the judge. You are not part of the family of God unless you hear the word of God and do it. Now, we aren't talking about sinless perfection here. Everybody sins. But listen, when God begins a good work in you through salvation, he perfects it until the day of Christ Jesus. He perfects it, which means you're going to grow as a Christian. Yes, you're going to have ups and downs. Yes, you're going to fall into sin. Yes, you're going to mess up over and over again. But over the average, you're growing in knowledge, in grace, in love, in Christ likeness. 
And if you look at your life and this isn't true of you, you need Jesus to save you from your sin. Don't lie to yourself anymore and tell yourself, well, you know, uh, you know, I'm a Christian. I just don't live like one. These who hear the word of God and do it, they are the children of God. They are the children of God. So if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've ever trust in Jesus, his death, his shed blood, his resurrection power to save you, do it now. And you know what? God will invade your life. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. He'll wash you clean. He'll make you into a new creature. He will sanctify you. He will transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he will create you as his workmanship unto good works. And you will begin longing to do those things that right now you just can't seem to muster up enough spiritual juice to get going on. You'll want to do it. It's like, man, when are I going to find some time to read my Bible? I can't wait. Instead of, oh, I have to read my Bible. We need to think about what Jesus is saying here. And when you leave here today, you need to remember these things. One, be a light. Be a light and get up on the lampstand. You do that how? You do that by knowing God's word, speaking God's word, living God's word. What else? Be afraid. If you're a believer, remember every sin you commit, you sinned in the face of your savior. If you're not a believer, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him enough to turn from your sins and receive the grace of God in Christ Jesus. As you leave here today, be careful how you listen. And remember that all things will be revealed by the judge. And finally, know that you are in the family of God. If you see God working in your life and you are being transformed from one glory to the next, to the image of Christ, that is your assurance, not church attendance, not mere profession, but those who hear these words and do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the hard but necessary words of our Lord. Father, I know that each person here who knows you is probably thinking to himself, is it me, Lord? Like the disciples in the upper room. It's good, as Paul says, to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. And Father, I pray that you would give comfort and assurance to all those your grace is working in and through. That we would look at our lives and see that, yes, though we are sinners, and even the righteous man falls seven times, yet he rises again and he presses on towards the mark. As Paul said, he longed to get out of his wretched body. And Father, for those who don't know you here, for those who have never repented of their sins, who are still clinging to themselves and their sins and their job and their hobbies and the things they want more than you, I pray that they would be afraid that, Father, right now they would cry out to you in their hearts, that they would realize that you, out of love, sent your son to die on the cross for their sins, that you might wash them clean, that you might change them, And make them one of your children. Father, do it today. Do it for your glory. 
and do it for the blessing of this church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.